Hi, film fans. Hi, music fans. Hi, fans of both. Um, Welcome along to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, my weekly podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Joining me for another episode of my wee podcast, I very much appreciate you taking the time to listen to me and my guests talk about their career, their creativity, their inspiration, uh, their love of music, their love of film. That's what we try and do every week on the show. And thank you very much for your response. Thank you very much for your time. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, really, really genuinely do. Um, I'm really excited about this week's episode because one of the things that we really try and do on the show is not to be too predictable. And there are so many great guests around that it's really hard sometimes to uh, to get everybody in and make time for everybody. And we really try. But we also really try to make time and space for people that we really admire and we are really excited about. And that's a great example of this week's guest. Uh, some of you will be familiar with her work. Some of you won't. But as soon as you are familiar with her work, she'll pretty much blow your socks off because our latest guest on Soundtracking is an actress. She's a singer and a dancer who dazzled us all in Steven Spielberg's adaptation of West Side Story. Ariana DeBose's performance as Anita has already seen her win a Golden Globe. She's also been nominated for an Oscar and BAFTA, amongst many other accolades, and so deserving. Uh, It was an absolute delight to catch up with her and I should warn you that um, it's a bit of a, there's a bit of a loving going on because prior to doing the interview, uh, the two previous days I'd been lucky enough to spend some time with Ariana and some of her castmates to uh, do some Q&As around the film and I don't know, I just really enjoyed her company, her enthusiasm, her spirit Um, and so it was such a treat to get a triple whammy and get her onto the podcast. Uh, she's, she's as you'll hear, pretty special. So here we are. We'll begin with one of her numbers from the film, A Boy Like That. A boy like that who kills your brother Forget that boy and find another One of your own kind Stick to your own kind A boy like that Will give you sorrow. You'll meet another boy tomorrow. One of your own kind. Stick to your own guy. A boy who kills cannot laugh. A boy who kills has no heart. And he's the boy who gets your love and gets your heart. Very smart, Maria. Very smart. So. It's brilliant to get you on the podcast because we get to talk about music and obviously music has been and is a huge part of your your career. I just discovered today, I didn't know that you were way back, were a, a competitor on So You Think You Can Dance. My best friend, Kat Dealey, was the <gasps> host of. Yeah, she was lovely. I really liked oh, Kat. That's cool. crazy. Crazy that word, world of connection. Six yeah. degrees, darling. Always. Yeah. Um, Right, listen, let's talk West Side Story because for people who are listening to this, Ariane and I have had a, I've had a lovely opportunity the last couple of days to dive deep into our experience. We had a lovely, I really enjoyed the conversation last night with you and and Rachel. It was so great to have you both and really go into a, a wonderful celebration of the work and the craft that you've done in preparation for this film and achieved in the making of it. But I'm so interested to, to learn. I, I, I really want you to retell that story about the audition because I think that was amazing. I love, I love your kind of confidence in yourself to kind of go, well, we'll tell that story in a second. But first, I want to talk about that day that you find out you've got the job. 
mm-hmm. to the work that's involved up into the first day of shooting. I can't imagine how much prep and work goes into the you know the choreography and the rehearsals for that the 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 singing the rehearsals for that the recording of that and and all that kind of stuff where do you start with it where did you start with it well you know that is such a good question where did I start with it also did you hear <laughs> that I just accidentally tried to sound like you with your accent it, I know you can do a good Scottish accent <laughs> it will continue to happen so my deepest and sincerest apologies up front um I think when I approached this work, I the, the thing that I did not worry about was the dancing and the choreography, because that is where I live. I, I thrive in a rehearsal space with dancers, and I, I love experimenting with movement. So I wasn't stressed by any means about that. That was just sort of fun and playful for me. But I also knew, speaking of beginnings, that my way into the character was through her movement and her body language. And I would learn quite a bit about where the character needed to go um, from that experimentation. That's always is where I start with my characters, even if they're not supposed to be dancers. (laughs) That's amazing Uh, though. Yeah. There's still, there's so much to be learned. I think from, from reactions, how people move their head. If do they move their hands when they talk, why do they do that? Um, do they hold their tension in their neck and their shoulders? And if so, where does that stem from emotionally? Um, do they breathe when they're thinking? <laughs> There's things like that that I don't think folks tap into sometimes, but they are very human reactions. I know when I'm nervous, I stare at people and I don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave everyone my tell. So by all means, look for it. Um, but that's where I, I began with the character. And we rehearsed for almost two months. And, and while we're rehearsing in the studio with Justin and his choreographic team, you're, you're also working on the music. And that, again, didn't stress me out. I wasn't sweating over it, mm-hmm. but it was a real, it was a real process with Janine Tesori, um, who is a giant in her field. Um, she was uh, sort of our like expert focal coach. And she held all of our hands, not just mine through, through the process, but she went through note by note, stanza by stanza. And it would explain to us why you're singing the note you're singing. Cause there, there really was a reason that Bernstein and Sondheim wrote everything the way that they did. You know, there are certain intervals that were hard for my ear to hear at first a boy like that, okay, your brother. I wanted to go, which is way more blue than it should be. Um, <laughs> uh, and we drilled it and drilled it and drilled it. And there's a reason why she sings it over and over and over and over again. Emotionally, she's in a loop. Um, and there's only one reason why you shouldn't do that, why Maria shouldn't make these choices. Mm-hmm. And she's singing it over and over again. So that was really uh, enlightening to me. And I'm someone who loves musicals. Um, and, and I would, I think actually Rachel's much more of a theater nerd with theater knowledge than I am, but, but I know quite a bit and, and my eyes were even opened to that process. So that's where you start, I guess. You mentioned Sondheim and I, I think, um, I was lucky enough to have a lifetime dream fulfilled by getting 20 minutes of Mr. Spielberg's time to talk about mm-hmm. this film. I cried after I'd done the interview. My husband said, how did it go? And I just burst into tears and was like, it was amazing. It was so emotional for me. Um, But from hearing him talk as well, you know, it was so important for him to have that, you know, seal of approval from from Stephen 
whilst he was still alive and still and to be part of that process. And I know for you guys, he was present at some of those recording sessions. He was he was there, Mr. Sondheim. How was that must have been? I don't know. Was it a mixture of terrifying, but kind of wonderful? Or what was it for you? Oh, I mean, we know it's funny. I first met Mr. Sondheim. I call him SS1. We all call him SS1. And oddly enough, Steven Spielberg is SS2. And that's something (laughs) they agreed upon. Um, (laughs) But I I met him, honestly, my my New York City debut was in company with the New York Philharmonic. I was hired to be one of like the four TikTok dream ballet dancers. And that was a production with Patti LuPone and Neil Patrick Harris and Katie Finneran. And I was 19 years old when I did that. And I got to meet him at our after after party. So we're sitting at a bar and I got, I'd gotten to say hello and we didn't really talk about anything. And I, of course, did not gush. I kept it inside. <laughs> well um, <done. laughs> but he was just it was so nice to be in his orbit for a short amount of time. So that was when I really had my like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh my God moment. So by the time <laughs> I got to West Side. I could be, I could play it cool, which was very helpful. So I could focus on the work. Um, But having him in those recording sessions, it was interesting because he didn't, or at least with me, we didn't really speak. He sat and he listened and and SS2 was sort of our liaison. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that was a good move because it, it separated some of the emotions out of it. We just got to like the nitty gritty of what sound I, we, I, we needed to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Um, could you understand the lyric? Was there a difference in, um, in pronunciation? Because, you know, she, this, all these Hispanic characters, they're, they're singing in English, but have different degrees of accent. So the conversations we were all having within that studio were really, I don't know, artistically profound. Because it was doing the work in tandem with a giant like Stephen Sondheim. He also at one point had said, he talked to me about color. He was like, tell her to sing a different color. And I was like, oh, I get that. That was, I understood it so brilliantly. And then Rachel likes to tell the story of the the day that we were recording with Gustavo Dudamel in the New York Phil. Mm -hmm. And Sondheim was there and we went, we all had gone up to listen to a boy like that. Um, but Rachel and I waited outside so so the creators could hear it first. And Mr. Sondheim walks out the door and he says to us, don't believe anything they tell you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So we go in and Steve and Steven Spielberg said he was so happy with what you guys did. He said he didn't need to stay. So he left. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think that's the greatest compliment either one of us is ever going to get. Wow. So that's what that was like. What was the kind of, um, the you know, in terms of we watched these amazing scenes, these beautiful pieces, these, you know, um, they I kind of, you know, you talk about not breathing. I don't think I took a breath for the entire America kind of because I was just blown away by it. But what's yeah. when, when you're filming that, what's what's the reality? Because we were talking about you have kind of buds and you've got a little bit there, but you're singing live. It's all kind of it's happening. It's been yeah. captured as you're doing it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a whirlwind. It's kind of, uh, I think it's one of those things you don't realize what you're doing while you're doing it. You know, for me, I'm just playing in the sandbox and trying to make sense of the sandbox. Um, (laughs) We shot America all over New York city. 
So each piece is in a different location. So you're getting to know your location every time you show up. So that's something you're balancing. You're, I was balancing injury. <laughs> um, no <laughs> way. Yeah, I had a sprained ankle while we were what? shooting. Mm-hmm. Wild. Uh, so I was balancing that, trying to make sure I was warm, trying to make sure I'm executing the dance steps, but also executing the vocal in tandem with the dance step. And the great thing about America is most of the time you're not dancing and singing at the same time. <laughs> so as a technician, it's helpful because I can breathe from different places and it's very clear. I'm not having yeah. to do a hodgepodge of technique to execute yeah. <laughs> the requirements of the moment. And also, you know, period costumes, working in a heat wave. But it's <laughs> once it all comes together, it's absolutely thrilling. I, on, I only really got overwhelmed. And I like to say my tears, my eyes began to sweat. So tears, crying. Um, when we were shooting the final sequence of America, and it's that push in and you're seeing the entire community. And that's when you really realize I'm on a Spielberg set. I'm reimagining one of the greatest numbers of all time. And I'm doing it in New York City. So this is a massive love letter to everything I love. And there's more to it as well than that original film had because yeah. you know it's it's a longer piece, but it also is a is a it's telling more of a story. It just tells you so much about that community, and and it's kind of you know I feel like his vision of the changes, the updates, the shifts that he wanted to make in this film are so important, but they're not rammed down your face in terms of him going. This is what I wanted to do. This is what it's kind of it's so it's subtle. Kind of, Subtle and beautifully kind of, um, you know, it's it's a love letter to this to this film, and it's it's. But he's made such important changes, necessary changes, but done them in such an artistic and beautiful way. I I absolutely agree with you, and I'm I'm so glad that's what you receive as a viewer. Um, that makes me really happy, and I I do feel that the political implications, the socioeconomic implica- implications that you consciously and subconsciously are receiving while you are watching this film, it does give it greater context, greater importance. You actually walk away understanding differences within the Latino community, the Puerto Rican community. It's not, this is not just a story about, you know, Irish immigrants, European immigrants versus 
the Puerto Ricans. Mm. Like this is, there's actually conflict or disagreement, different perspectives within the Puerto Rican community. And I do think that's something you never felt from the 61 film, Yeah, but it's also something that is very real um, for the Hispanic community right now. Yeah. There's so many wonderful scenes in this. And one film, I said this to you yesterday in terms of, for me as a film fan and, and watching you in this film, I feel like I said there's certain opportunities and roles that you get as an actor that really allow us as film fans to see the full spectrum of of talent. And this film for me that totally does that for you. We've got all this amazing performance in these big numbers like America, but then you bring it down to the small moments as well. And there's a scene that breaks me every time I watch this film, which is when she goes to identify the body and you peel back that first sheet. And 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 it's so interesting when you talked at the start of this chat about the physicality of things, how she holds herself, how she moves in that room, how she reacts to how you react, you know, to the situation. Yeah. And then even as that kind of, you know, that that second sheet's been pulled back and you and just the emotion that we feel as an audience, it's I mean, you deserve all the awards. Absolutely. Oh, it's so amazing. I, I so appreciate that. That particular scene. When I read Tony's adaptation, that's what got me. And I was yeah. like, that is what makes that's that is a small moment that really differentiates this um this Anita from from the 61 portrayal. Um, which Rita's portrayal will always be iconic, but this material allows for such a deepening. You get I feel like understanding this woman's grief allows you a window, a deeper window into her heart and her soul you get to understand why she makes choices later down the line that are somewhat unforgivable. But I, I love that that moment sticks out for you because it's one that stuck out for me as well. Yeah. And I think as well, the way that he approached that, that rape scene in, in the, the, you know, in the, in the diner as well. I love that he, he is a hard, I mean, it's a hard scene to watch. I can't imagine what it was like both for you doing that and the, you know, the, the, the atmosphere of that scene, but also because Rita's there as well. And she's, kind of part of it I mean there's a whole host of there's a whole host of emotions flying around in that experience oh, yeah. I imagine <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's funny I um when I think about the experience of of shooting that scene it's like it's a good thing I'm a triple threat because triple threats inherently have to multitask mm-hmm. and as an actor in a scene like that that's all you're doing is multitasking given the circumstances um of the atmosphere and and the sub, the the substance of the scene, what you're actually playing, it's nothing but a multitask. And I did find myself slipping into this maternal position where I took care of everyone else. Granted, there were there were plenty of people there to take care of me as well, mm-hmm. but I I realized I was going to be the one that had to spearhead. We got to move forward. We got to do this now, because oddly enough, Stephen shot like a full day's worth of coverage before he was ever like ready to shoot the bulk of the scene because he was so nervous and uncomfortable oh wow Um, yeah he He, was very he cares so much doesn't he he really cares about everything about it Mm -hmm. he's a good man well and he's a father too so shooting a scene like this is not easy was not easy for him yeah and i'm i'm glad that that we didn't chicken out on our uh on our edit because you still get it you get the severity. It goes much further than the 61 film went, I believe, while you still get that element of 
storytelling through movement because it is this violent, erratic pas de deux in a way. Actually, it's not a pas de deux. That's like one girl and 15 guys. There you go. Um, But you get that feeling, but you also get the violence of it and how hateful this act is. Um, So I'm very proud that we didn't shy away from that. Yeah. Well, I've got to get you to tell the story about uh, about the audition because I love this story. But I, I love as well that you were you were in the middle of being Donna Summer as well, which is great. I mean, what a great! <laughs> how was that? First of all, it must have been. Was that? Did you enjoy that experience of 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 you know being in being on stage and being her? Oh, I I love being on Broadway. Like I've that was my home for ten years. Not that particular show, but Broadway was my home for ten years, and the Donna yeah, Summer. Were- Huh? You worked on such such big shows on Broadway. It's unbelievable, you know, whether it's Hamilton or, yeah. Yeah, great. totally wild. I mean, prior to Donna Summer, I, I sort of took my first foray in being even a featured leading lady. Well, you know, it was the smallest <laughs> role, but it was the lead female in A Bronx Tale. And that was with Robert De Niro and Jerry Zaks. And Alan Menken wrote the music for that. Like, what? I, <laughs> Um, never, never in a million years, but that seems to be the theme of my career. Never in a million years do I think things are going to happen. And then they do. And I'm like, whoa. Um, but I was, I was playing Donna Summer at the time. And I learned quite a bit from that experience, how to lead a show, how to support, uh, my cast members, how to support the production at large. Um, when to speak up, when not to speak up, stay on your lane, Ariana. But I can't stay in my lane. There's injustice happening. She needs don't to ever shoot. stay in your lane. No, I'm, I I don't. <laughs> I try to be respectful about it, but I'm very not in my lane. <laughs> um, but I was doing the show at the time. It was post Tony nomination. So we were just running the show. And um, one night, I think it was late, late August, early September. I, I got a phone call. Um, Cindy Tolan had asked if I would come in the next day show up in Brooklyn at 10 a.m. Now, I live in Harlem. And <laughs> even if you don't understand the geography of New York City, the point is that is far, far away when you're taking public transit. And I was like, guys, it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock right now. And I got to be there at 10, 30, ready to dance, like hydrated, warm. This is a commitment right now. And I'm running, I'm trying to lead a show, keep it going. It just felt like a lot. And then I looked at the material. I said, well, what do I need to do? And they're like, dance, sing, and, and read the sides. And I was like, let me look at it. I called her back. I was like, girl, these sides are long. These are Tony Kushner, wordy, expanded scenes. So I would really prefer not to read, but I'll come and sing and dance. And she said, okay, but if they like you, will you come back? And I was like, of course, duh. <laughs> and so I get there and I walk into the room and Dag Nabbit, Steven Spielberg, and Tony Kushner, and the entire producing team were sitting in that room. And I said to myself, am I, am I about to do this? I'm about to do this. Okay. So I dance and they like my dancing. And Steven's like, oh, you're so fun. Will you go again? And he like picks up a camera and he starts dance. I call it dancing with me because he was yeah. dancing with the camera. It was great. And then he was like, that was awesome will you sing for us? And I was like, of course. And so I'm singing a little bit of America and Tony Kushner is being my Bernardo. It was very funny because if Brilliant. you know about Tony, tall Jewish man. <laughs> um, Could he sing though? Oh, he did his best. <laughs> uh, and then, um, and then Stephen looks at me and goes, that was great. We read the sides now. And I was like, no, 
no, sir. And he says, no. And thank God for Cindy Tolan. What a boss casting director. And I think we should have more of her in the industry because she really did have my back. And she jumped in and she was like, nope, we spoke about Ariana. She's starring in a Broadway show. She just wants the chance to properly prepare. And Steven said, I understand that. So you're not going to read today. Nope. No, sir. (laughs) Will you come back? I would be honored. So then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I come back in for um, a hair and makeup test. Did I tell you this part of the story? Not for the hair and makeup test, but no. Okay. Well, I will, I'll keep it short, but it's, it's kind of like a random tidbit. I went in for a hair and makeup test on the set of the Joker, mind you, because that's where our, our makeup department, hey, Giorgio was working on the Joker. And so I show up or wig. She does wigs. Yeah. What is happening to me? Yikes. Wig department is working on the Joker. And I was like, okay, cool. So I arrive and there is Joaquin Phoenix taking a nap in the corner. And so they're like, shh, don't talk. We're just gonna, we're gonna put it, put the stuff on. So I'm silent. They're doing my makeup, trying on different wigs. This incredible set photographer, Nico comes up and takes some photos of me and the different stuff. Um, They send those away. I go home, find out they like a very specific look, which later became the Anita look. A couple of days later, I show back up. They put me in hair and makeup. I go to a, a work session with Steven. That's when I met David Alvarez. I had a full day of West Side storying. And then the next day I was in a nail salon. He called and offered me the part. And that's how that goes. Whoa. So literally the word no possibly was the best thing I ever said. I mean, it feels like this thing Anita would do. Yeah. How it's wonderful. Such wild. a great story. Um, such a great story. What um I got to, how was Saturday Night Live? Hello, host oh of Saturday Night Live. That, that is a crazy thing. <laughs> it was fabulous. I thought I was like, am I an adrenaline junkie? Because I'm really loving this. <laughs> um, it was the wildest week of one of the wildest weeks of my career, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody prepares you for Saturday Night Live. My Broadway background was the most helpful thing um, <laughs> in my arsenal, to be honest, because thank God I understood how to quick change and how to just like let people drag you all over the place. Cause that's what they do. They throw 40 <laughs> scripts at you. You read all of them at some point in the week, you narrow it down to 20 and then you keep narrowing until you get to the seven or eight that actually make it to uh, broadcast. But the reality of it, of it is you don't know what you're doing until the show and even during the show it changes (laughs) wow yeah but it's great I mean I got to do a little something with uh Kate McKinnon and never in a million years would I have said yes I'm going to do a little sketch with Kate McKinnon also realized during (laughs) the process of working with her that I was doing impressions of Kate McKinnon in front of Kate McKinnon what is my problem (laughs) I do that all the time, except I sing, I sing songs at people. So that's my kind of, yeah, it's terrible. So bad. Um, What do we get to enjoy you in next? Ayana, what's the next thing that we can enjoy you in? Well, I, there are two things that are in the can and I'm not sure when they're coming out, but I believe it'll be this year. Um, One of them is Matthew Vaughn's Argyle. That stars Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell, Henry Cavill, John Cena. 
the international treasures that are Catherine O'Hara and Brian Cranston and Samuel L. Jackson. And then me. That's amazing. Um, it's this crazy spy action thing. And I just love Matthew because he makes such fun, elegant and sexy films. And yeah, I mean, nobody does aesthetic the way that Matthew Vaughn does aesthetic. Aesthetic with humor. I'm obsessed. And then I also made... An indie film with an incredible director, Gabriella Cowperthwaite. Um, yeah. We brought you Blackfish and Our Friend with Dakota. Oh, Johnson. amazing! Yeah, um, it's called ISS, uh, and it's it literally takes place on the International Space Station. It is a space thriller. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, and I lead this crazy cast, all of whom are just ridiculously talented. Pilo Acebeck. I could literally could go on and on, but it's, uh, it's, that was my first foray in not singing or dancing. <laughs> I don't sing or dance in either of those films. Um, I'm just talking. So we'll see if I indeed can act ladies and gents. <laughs> oh, and you come on, stop. We know that already <laughs> enough. There's um, always that moment. Every actor has it where it's like, Oh God, am I a fraud? <laughs> <laughs> So, but it was great. Both experiences were wonderful and I'm very hopeful that people will enjoy them when they come to the screen. Um, well, listen, um, uh, this we've come to the end of our, our trilogy for this week, but I hope we get to to hang at some point again in the future because, um, I mean, yeah, this particular role in this film is just um, is wonderful and you deserve all the accolades and celebration that you are getting. Um, huge congratulations and thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, my queen. You are amazing and I love you. Bye-bye, my lovely. Take care. Safe journey home as well. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. From the soundtrack to West Side Story, that's Dance at the Gym Mambo by Leonard Bernstein, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Ariana DeBose. My huge thank you to Ariana for taking the time to talk to us. West Side Story is still showing in a few cinemas and will be available on Disney Plus from the beginning of March. Now, if you haven't seen it, give it a go. Even if you don't like musicals, it is just a fantastic experience. I absolutely loved it. I'm such a fan of the original. I was really quite scared going in to watch this and it was everything I wanted it to be and more. Uh, Head to edithbowman.com or your preferred podcast provider to catch with all of our previous episodes, including my chat with um, Mr. Steven Spielberg or SS2, as he shall henceforth be known. Um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK and please do keep spreading the word on your socials if you like what you hear. It is very much appreciated. Uh, we've got so many great people coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Joe Wright and Bryce Desner from The National talking about their film Cyrano. 
talking about West Side Story, we have composer David Newman talking about his journey uh, about working on the film and taking that legendary music and, and bringing it up to date and giving it that kind of Spielberg twist. Johnny Greenwood is going to be on the show as well. So loads of great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Make sure you join us next week for another episode of Soundtracking where we talk about film and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>